0: Hello and welcome to Hamble in Numbers, the Hamble Lyftics podcast. We are now in the quarterfinal stages of the Hamble. My name is Mark Hawkins and I'm joined again by Julian Rux. Hello, Julian.
1: Hi, Mark. So today we're talking about Sweden versus South Korea, which was, well, kind of one sided. Sweden won 39 30. Top scorers for Sweden were Karin Stromberg with six goals, and also Lynn Blum and Chamina uh, Roberts with each six goals. And for South Korea, we've had Kung Ming Khan with eight goals.
0: Today, we're joined by a very special guest live from Tokyo, one of Japan's most prominent handball journalists, Yuki Hitori. Hello, Yuki. How are you?
2: I'm fine. And thank you so much for the this invitation. I'm really <laughs> excited to talk about it.
0: Thank you very much for, for joining us. So uh, today's game that we were looking at was Sweden and, and South Korea. What were your thoughts on the match and are there any things that stood out to you?
2: Well, honestly, I really expected the games like this because um, for me, this time Swedish women's team is doing quite good. On the other hand, I see the Korean women team are not really in good shape. The preparation is not so good for them. When he had an Olympics in London eight years ago, he could do more weight training before the Olympics, but compared with that time, they only could do like uh, 30, 40% of the preparation period because of their injuries. And the problem in Korea is The players have to play before they completely repair. Then the head coaches make them to play year by year before they are totally fine. So the orders having, you know, old injuries and the play So that's the kind of problems for them. But more bigger reason is I think European teams playing much better than Korean team because their strong point was uh, quickness.
0: I think we could see that in the game today because the game was played at a very high tempo, much more suitable for Korea, which they normally play like. And uh, Sweden normally plays a lot slower, but Sweden were able to play at that tempo comfortably and take advantage of it, which, you know, we haven't always seen.
1: Yeah. I think that especially today, it was interesting that usually Korea was playing faster with shorter possession length, Mm -hmm. with they usually had the ball way less in their hands than their opponents. And for Sweden, Mm -hmm. it usually was the opposite. Today, Sweden had the ball in their hand much, much less, just 22.7 seconds on on average, which is eight seconds faster than average. So it's really a lot. And even eight and a half seconds faster than South Korea's opponents usually took in the tournament before. Um, Mm -hmm. So would you agree that maybe Sweden beat South Korea with their own weapons?
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with your opinion, yeah.
0: We've seen also with Korea in some of the last championship the world championships in 2019 and 2017, being very successful, winning a lot of games in the group stages and then tiring a little bit and not performing quite as well in, in the knockout rounds and things like this. We see the top players from Korea now, the right back, Ryu, going to, yeah, uh, Gure uh, for next season, and he's yeah. a very top player. Is the Korean style becoming a little bit closer or, and the Korean and European styles coming a little bit closer together?
2: Yeah, I think so. But the weaker point for Asian people is we are smaller. In the defense, especially, we want to try to play like an European team, but in the end, you know, they are bigger and they are heavier. And now they can run really fast. So our playing style is getting closer. Then our gap is, you know, more bigger.
0: Yeah, I mean, players like um, uh, Lee Mi Young, the playmaker, is very small and very quick. Should yeah. they be almost looking for more players like her instead of trying to be more like the European style, more like a Korean or an Asian style that we would typically expect? Do they have a better chance that way if they try and make it more uncomfortable for the European teams? Maybe 70, 75 attacks a game. Is that the style that they should head to?
2: I think th- that kind of style, Mr. Khan wanted to play. But in the end, um, because of the European team got faster, then it was a bit difficult. And even Limigand was playing one one I mean, mm. one or two, maybe she was trying play players, but they are bigger, so physically yeah, it was yeah. impossible, maybe. This, in this game, Swedish team, I think they knew how to handle it. for so the, the Mignon and Ryuni in mm. it quite a, they are really good in defense too, so mm. there's no chance to win for the mm. Korean team in this game.
1: Yeah, and I think that, well, Sweden was just from the beginning the clearly better team and they were, I think, well-prepared. South Korea had, well, they were actually uh, in the preliminary round, not that bad on defense. Their opponents had second uh, worst shot qualities. Today, that didn't work out so well because I think just they they were well-prepared. Maybe let's talk a bit about, uh, well, handball in Asia in, in general. So South Korea has been a powerhouse in, in women's handball in the 80s, 90s, and early, early 2000s. They won a lot of medals in the, in the women's handball, but the last one was in 2008. How do you think that their near and middle future will look like?
2: Well, it's a really difficult question to answer. Well, I say the Korean national team, they have to change their system for the training, I think.
1: Maybe because European handball has well, just become become so professional, and years ago obviously South Korea had an advantage because they won other medals. Now it seems like the European teams have gone past them.
2: I think the gap is going to be more bigger,
1: so you don't think that they will they can go back to the success that they had years ago in the near future
2: I don't think so. actually, I think only Mr. Kang. He wasn't worried about even in the London Olympics. Eight years ago, he already worried about in the future. The gap is going to be bigger, he says. More players from Korea went to the Europe to play. Normally, some of them know how to play against European players physically and everything. But now, like you mentioned, Reuni, only Ryuni is playing in Europe. The others are playing in Korea. They're just playing against smaller players, like, you know, the heights are totally same. They don't get used to play against the, uh, like European players, heavier or taller. So yeah, eight years ago, Mr. Khan mentioned about this kind of things, and then he wanted to send some players to Europe, but they couldn't manage it in the last 80 years. Difficult reason for them is uh, the regulation in a country to get the uh, free agent, they played uh, for one team after 10 years, then he, they can get free agent rights. Yeah. So if they started to play in a Korean League, like in the, the Asia of 18, they can go to Europe 28.
1: That's insane. Yeah,
0: yeah that's great. And, right. and obviously, yeah. it's,
1: that's really a, a big problem.
0: Yeah. Well, while we have you here, we should talk about Japan a little bit as well. Firstly, what have your impressions been of both the men's and women's team uh, in the tournament? And then secondly, what comes next for Japan? (laughs) As I understand, Dale Sigerson will carry on with the men's team, but Ulrich Kirkulu will stop with the women's team. You know, so where next? You know, what's the aim? What are the targets? And like normal uh, with a host team, they build for a long time to have... A team. So you know, what are the next generations? The next players from Japan coming through. How do they look?
2: For the men's team, they are really wanted to get into the quarterfinals, and their main focus was to win two games in a preliminary round. Um, unfortunately, both both of them couldn't make it, but I think they really played one or two impressive game. I just think sometimes like if we could play last year without COVID, then maybe they could play five impressive games. Well for the mainstream, Dago is going to train next four years, uh, I mean next three years to Paris. I say his main long-term focus is to get qualified by themselves. He really having a long-term planning to make our Japan team stronger,
0: But also, what about
2: for, yeah. Ulrich is a different contract. He only had a contract for the Tokyo Olympics. So I could see that he chose the best player, I mean, older player who are more experienced for the international tournament. But he also last five years, he really trained younger players too in a training camp and everything. In the end, he picked the older players, but Also, he put some international mind to play against. So then more younger players uh, really started to think or started to dream to play in Europe.
0: And you see um, Ikahara, the right wing, has been fantastic when she's played in Denmark. And we see uh, Haruna Sasaki will go to Germany next year as well. So it's already starting.
1: But it's really good to see that handball in Japan or in, in Asia in general is on the way up. And I think that it's really important for handball not just to be a European sport, but to be an international sport that's played around the world. Yes. And so it's great to see the, the development in Japan that was there in the last years and hopefully will continue in the future. Yuki, thank you so much for, for taking the time, for, for giving us your, your insights.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks to Yuki for today. Tomorrow, our special guest will be Juan Andreu, former Spanish national team player. He'll be joining us to, to look over the events of the semi-final between Spain and Denmark in the men's competition.
1: Until then, as always, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's at HandPolitics everywhere. Or go to handpolitics.de. On all our channels, you'll get the stats that we're talking about for each game. Well... Until then, hear you tomorrow.